Please stand for the reading of God's word. John 14, 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you will know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is God's word. There's a three-panel cartoon, and the first panel shows a psychiatrist sitting in his chair with a notebook next to a sofa. There's a man sitting on that, lying down on that sofa. The psychiatrist asks, how can I help you? The second panel, the man says, I'm troubled, I'm anxious, I'm fearful for everything that's going on in our world. There's a pandemic raging. There's wars, terrorism. Fires, floods, freezes going across the south. And eventually, I'm going to die. Can can you help me? The third panel shows the psychiatrist looking at the man and saying, move over. Where, Where do we turn in times of turmoil? Do we turn inward? With wishful thinking, do we turn to philosophers or theorists? Or do we turn to the creator God, creator of the universe? Let's pray. Our Father, will you drive home to us a truth that we've heard many times as Christians? Will you drive home this idea, your promise? that we have a home with you forever. Sink it deep into our hearts so that it might transform our perspective on life and on death itself, that it might give us a solid rock upon which we will serve you and a hope that will grant us your peace. In Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. As we enter into John 14, Jesus sees that his disciples are gravely troubled He understands what's going on in their hearts. And he understands what's going on in each one of our hearts and the troubles that afflict us. And so he opens the chapter saying, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, These words, believe in God, believe also in me, are translated in different versions. All are accurate in one way or another. 
He may be simply saying, you do believe in God, you do believe in me. He may be saying, believe in God, believe in me. He may be saying, you believe in God, well, also believe in me. But the, the idea is the same. He's saying, trust God. You can trust him. And you can also trust me. And so this chapter is going to unfold First, giving us a hope that will calm our troubled hearts, a hope in eternity itself. The second part of the chapter will talk about a peace that can calm our troubled hearts. Verse 27 says, Jesus will say, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So in the latter part of this chapter, Jesus is going to point to the vibrant mission that he gives us and the supernatural help that he'll give us through prayer and through the Holy Spirit. But this morning, we're going to focus just on that first part, the eternal hope that Jesus Christ promises us. And when we hear this promise of a heaven it's natural to ask three questions. The first, is it real? Second, how do I get there? What's the way? And third, can you prove it to me? And so our, our message this morning is going to follow that pattern. It's first going to look at the promise, what Jesus has promised us. Secondly, it's going to look at his provision, because he's going to say, I'm the way. I will provide the way to heaven for you. And then thirdly, we'll look at the proof that Jesus offers. Proof in his person, in his word, and in his works. So we open up with Jesus' promise. He makes this promise to disciples at a time when their hearts were troubled and they would be much more troubled in a few hours later. So as he imagine what the disciples were, were feeling. They just heard Jesus say, I'm leaving you. And Peter says, I want to go with you. And he said, you can't go with me now. And maybe later, later you'll come. But you're not coming with me now. I am leaving. Peter says, but Lord... I'll go with you, I'll even die with you. And Jesus predicts, no, you won't. You will deny me three times before the cock crows. So what's going through the disciples' minds? First is, are we being abandoned? Are we being left here alone now? For three years, we gave up our lives. We, we gave you our time. We walked away from our professions. We were trusting in you. We were sitting at your feet, listening to every word. You were our comfort. You were our power, and now you are leaving us. We're alone. We're abandoned. We don't know what to do, where to go. But then they've also heard that Peter is going to deny them. Something big must be about to happen. That Peter, who says, I'll die with you, all of a sudden cowers out. And if what's going to happen to Peter and put him in that position where he cowers, is that going to happen to us as well? What's about to happen? 
And is this so momentous that this is what's going to take Jesus away? What is our Lord going to endure? So many troubled thoughts going through their minds. And as troubled as they were, Jesus was more troubled. For he knew clearly exactly what he was going to face. And so he says, not thinking about himself, but thinking completely about them. That's, that's, the, that's the Lord we have. Always completely thinking about others, about his disciples, about us. So he said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, also believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I have told you? I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is promising those who feel so abandoned. He's promising them an eternal home. A home with him. So that no matter what they go through, no matter what we go through today or tomorrow, we know that our final home is secure for every believer. This hope is so certain, we can think of it as having already happened. You know, I've been watching uh, a lot of sporting events, basketball games, football games, um, and it's amazing. I'll, I'll say, honey, I, I just watched the UConn game, and they won. And I watch, and they won, and they won, and they won. And they always win, because I'm watching old games. So <laughs> I go back, and I see, you know, UConn men against Duke in 1999. Duke was crowned the, the, the champion in advance. Nobody could beat Duke, and I watched the game. And I remember watching it, and I'm on the edge of my seat, and I'm shaking. But now, I don't shake as I watch it. I see the lead go back and forth in this tremendous team, but UConn keeps coming back, and I'm sitting there saying, oh, what a game. But I'm completely secure because UConn wins. <laughs> or the, the best one, you know, join me in this. Go back and watch the Patriots Super Bowl against Atlanta. What were you feeling if you watched that? What were you feeling when they're losing 28 to 3 with just a few minutes left in the third quarter? It's like, oh, are we getting slaughtered? Oh, this is awful. Oh, the, the Patriots, are, they've, they've lost it all. They're gone forever. I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> I watch that game and I say, this is phenomenal finish. See, if we know the end, it impacts the now. And Jesus is saying... I'm not leaving you and abandoning you. I am going to prepare a place for you. What's this place like? It's home. Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon titled, Heaven is a World of Love. I don't know if anyone captures heaven better than he did in this sermon. You know, we think of heaven, we think of golden streets, temple, angelic realm surrounding the, the throne of God. 
elders falling down before him, casting their golden crowns, and it's hard to get our hands around that. But the real central aspect of heaven is its home, and it's a home of love. And this is what Jonathan Edwards preached. There in heaven dwells God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, united as one, in infinitely dear and incomprehensible and mutual eternal love. There dwells God the Father, who is the Father of mercies and so the Father of love, who so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son to die for it. There dwells Christ, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace and of all love, who so loved the world that he shed his blood and poured out his soul to death for men. There dwells the great mediator, the Holy Spirit, through whom all the divine love is expressed toward men and by whom the fruits of that love have been purchased, through whom they are communicated, and through whom love is imparted to the hearts of God's people. There in infinite, this infinite fountain of love, this eternal three-in-one is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it as it flows forever. There this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory in beams of love. And there this glorious fountain forever flows forth in streams, yet in rivers of love and delight. And these rivers swell, as it were, to an ocean of love. What makes home a home? It's love. It's the presence of those who love you presence of those you love that's the real heart of heaven what Jesus is promising I leave you to prepare a home for you but is heaven just wishful thinking on our part you know Stephen Hawking renowned physicist he represents the thoughts of many today he said this I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. This is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. It's understandable that many people would look to science in a scientific age. The problem is science doesn't measure the spirit. It doesn't measure what is unseen. All of us really know we aren't simply material beings. We have a spiritual dimension. We, the real us is in our spirit, simply living out in these bodies. We aren't computers without spirits. There is a spiritual dimension, and our spirits have eternity before us. A Pew Research poll taken in 2009 found that 51% of scientists either believe in God or a supreme being. They believe in a spiritual dimension. You don't have to believe in science to say there is no heaven. If you believe in science, say, I can believe what they, I can try to understand and grasp what they say about the material world. 
but they can't speak into the spiritual world. You know, others look at Jesus' promises and say that he spoke them in the first century where people were much more naive. And that even today we, we say, we, we comfort ourselves with heaven because that's the only way we can get through the fear of death. So they might say that Jesus offered a, a false hope to help us get through the hard times. Or that perhaps he even offered a false reward in order to keep the disciples in line following him even after he died. Jesus wasn't ignorant of uh, this type of thinking. For as we look closely at verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. You see, Jesus... He knew that we would doubt, we might think it's wishful thinking. He'd say, this is not wishful thinking. I speak truth to you. You know that. I've always spoken truth to you. I haven't been afraid to confront you. And I'm not afraid to speak the truth to you. If it were not so, I wouldn't be telling you this. Because it is true. Jesus guaranteed that his promise is truth. The reality of an eternal home is as true as Jesus' word. It's as genuine as Jesus is trustworthy. And he personally assured it will happen. I go, not to abandon you, but I go to another place to prepare for you. And I personally am going to come again. And I'm going to take you there myself so that where I am, you can be. Jesus is saying, do you want to be with me? You can't come now. But I'm just going ahead. So you're going to have a very special place. And I'm coming back to bring you to my home. And it's going to be your home. So, what more could we ask? Is there a greater promise anywhere that no matter what happens in this world, we have an eternal home with God himself, a home of an ocean of love? So the question becomes, how do we get there? What's the way? And we wonder, do we have the right way? Are we, do we have the right religion? Or does religion matter at all? Or is, is, is everybody getting in? Or is it how good we are? And am I good enough? What's the way? The, the disciples should have known the way, but they're still confused. We read in verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, And you know the way to where I'm going. And they say, Uh-uh. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't really understand where you're going, and how, how can we know the way? Thomas is like so many of us. I want to know the way, but I'm really confused. I don't know the way. I'm hearing so many different views. But what's great about Thomas is he goes to the right source for the answer. He doesn't turn inward and develop a, a theology of eternal life that might comfort him or fit him. 
He doesn't turn to philosophers. He doesn't turn to religious leaders. He turns to the one who came from heaven. And so he asked Jesus, how can we know the way? What's the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our entrance into the heavenly home is not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ. It's not dependent upon how good we are. It's dependent upon what Christ has done for us. And he provided the way by taking our sin and paying for that, taking the judgment of God that our sins deserve so that we wouldn't have to pay that penalty. That's a way he was preparing a home for us. You know, many of you might be familiar with the bridge illustration. Some of you may not be. But the picture is you have humanity standing on one side, like a cliff, and God on the other. And there's a big chasm between the two. And that chasm is our sin because God is holy. He cannot embrace us in our sin. In fact, he has to judge that sin. Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is the bridge to take to get from God to, to get from, from where you are over your sin to get to God. He says, he doesn't say, I'll point the way to you. He says, I am the way. And so in the bridge illustration, what you see is over that chasm filled with sin is the cross of Jesus Christ, where you walk across the crossbar because Jesus' death paid for that sin. He is the way. Many people will try to point you to a way. In fact, we will point you to a way. It's Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. And he doesn't say, I just speak truth. I am the truth. And I don't just offer life. I am the life. In fact, Jesus is the way because he is the truth. If he wasn't the truth, we couldn't know the way. We were, he couldn't be the way. And he is the way because he is the life. He's life itself. And that's why he can promise life and promise it abundantly and be that way. And then Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. These words bother many people today. They sound so exclusive because they are. And to many, they are hate speech today because we are saying we are discounting everyone every other way and when we speak this message, some people hear it as hate. And who knows, one day we may be canceled for hate speech. But it's not hate speech. It's love. If a doctor says, you have cancer, and unless you're treated, this cancer will be terminal. That sounds very hateful. But it isn't. It's the most loving words he can say because he knows the real condition we're in and he wants to save us. And so when Jesus says, I'm the only way, he's like that doctor. He says, 
your case is terminal because of your sin. And there's only one way. There's only one who died for your sin. Jesus didn't speak hate speech. He didn't lack love for humanity. He gave his life for humanity so we could have life. Paul, who established so many churches and preached the exclusive way to Christ over and over, was not hateful of even the people who persecuted it. In Romans 9, he says, if I could trade my salvation so my kindred Jews could be saved, I would do it. That's how much love he has as he preached, Jesus is the only way. It's not hate speech. It's love speech. And the reason is, Jesus died for our sins. Mohammed didn't. Buddha didn't. Confucius didn't. They never claimed to. They tried to point to the ways. And they didn't point to the right way unless, and no one points to the right way unless you point to Jesus as the way. Jesus is saying some incredible things. We've got heaven before you. And I'm the way to heaven. And a lot of people would ask, and they should ask, well, prove it. Prove it to me. And Jesus proves it. Verses 7 and 8, he says, If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. He's really saying something a lot of people have said, and maybe we've all said it at one time or another in our hearts. God, if you are real, show yourself to me. And we don't see him. That's exactly what... Philip's feeling, you know, you've said some incredible things, but just show us the Father if we could see him. And Jesus says, he's here. You have seen God when you see me. Verse 9, Jesus said, have, have I been with you so long and you don't know me, Philip? Whoever's seen me, seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Now, he's not saying that he is the Father. But he's saying, I am one with the Father. We are of the same nature. For God is a trinity. He is one God, three personalities, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he's saying, because you've seen me, you've seen God, and you've seen an image, a perfect image, of God the Father. You know, Scripture says that God created humanity in his image. When Scripture talks about Jesus, it goes a step further. Hebrews chapter 1, 2 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of God's nature. So when you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. Jesus lives out the exact character of God himself. 
He was the radiance of God's glory. He himself is the proof of all that he said. And his life had the impact that God would have had had he lived on this earth. No one had the impact that Jesus has had. You know, there's an anonymous author who wrote One Solitary Life. I'm sure many of you have heard it. That's what he says. Here's a man, Jesus, who was born in an obscure village. The child of a peasant woman, he grew up in another obscure village. He worked as a carpenter shop until he was 30, and then, then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that contemporary society would consider a sign of greatness. 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race, the greatest source of guidance and divine inspiration. I'm far within the mark when I say all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned, put them together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life, Jesus he was God among us. He lived perfectly as one with the Father. And his word was that as of God. He continues, Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus' words are proof that he's one with the Father. No man's words have affected history as they have, as has Jesus Christ's words. And the people could see it. Matthew 7, 28. I'm just going to give you a taste of some of the responses to Jesus' teaching. Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus finished these saying, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Matthew 13, 58. He taught in the synagogues. They were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Mark 1, 22. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Mark 6.22, many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What's the wisdom given to him? Mark 11.18, the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. They were jealous. They feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. In John chapter 7, the religious leaders send officials to arrest Jesus. They come back empty-handed, declaring, no one ever spoke like this man. Jesus' teaching and authority stands above all others. They rise as heaven is above earth, so are Jesus' words and ours. Is there greater messages than Jesus taught? Is there a greater message 
than just the Sermon on the Mount alone. Is there any message more quoted? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't judge one another. Judge in the way you would be judged. Don't be hypocrites. Pray this way, my fa our Father who art in heaven. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. These are words of heaven come to earth through Jesus Christ. They are proofs of who he is and that his promise is true. And he goes a step further. If you don't believe these, look at what I've done. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus' miracles were all not simply the most astounding of all, they were the broadest of all. He did miracles in every arena of life. He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, gave, uh, uh, healed the lame, and healed the deaf. He ruled over nature as he calmed the oceans. He created food out of five loaves of bread. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He ruled over death. Those are his works. And those who saw only some of those works said, we couldn't expect more miracles than we've, from the Messiah than we've seen Jesus do. If we wanted God to come and to do miracles, just look at Jesus. He did, and he did all the miracles that God would do. Jesus promised an eternal hope. He gave us the way himself, and then he proved that what Christians believe is true. Henry C. Morrison was a great missionary. He served in Africa for 40 years, but he became ill, and so his mission board called him home. And so this was around the turn of the 20th century, so he came home on, on a steamship. And as he came into the New York port, you know, he was wondering what kind of reception he would have, and he saw all these incredible welcome signs and a band there and the crowds cheering. And then Theodore Roosevelt walked off the ship and was so warmly and fully embraced by the crowds. He had been there on a hunting ex expedition. And so that impacted Henry as he went simply with his wife to, uh, to a room, a rented room. And he was bothered and his wife picked up on that. And she said, what's bothering you, Henry? And he said, I don't get it. We've served and sacrificed to God for so many years. And this man who went on a hunting expedition gets this glorious reception. And we come, we get home. And there's no greeting. We're alone. And she looked at him and said, Henry, you're not home yet. Jesus went to prepare a home. And it changes everything. 
It changes our perspective of our adversity. It changes our value system to be an eternal value system. It grants us a peace and a hope that is beyond understanding. It changes what we say to other people because the greatest message we can speak is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Our Lord, we thank you for your words. May your spirit drive them home deeply into my heart so that I have that trust in God and trust in you that soothes my troubled heart. And may that be true of each one of us here this morning, each one of us listening to uh, and seeing us on Zoom, and each person who believes in Jesus Christ. Amen.